Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this second Sunday of Easter is from the Gospel reading, St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. This is our text, dear friends in our Lord. Yosef Vissarionovich Yugosfoli. You know him better by the name Joseph Stalin. General Secretary of the Soviet Communist Party in the mid-20th century, Stalin was a man who was feared. And for very good reason. He was notoriously responsible for one of the most vicious reigns of terror the modern world would ever see. Ordering the covert assassination of fellow comrades who posed any kind of threat to him, arranging for the midnight arrests of average Soviets by the thousands, and then shipping them off to the Siberian gulags, machine gunning down his own citizens who had seen the promise of life beyond the Soviet border. But you know, as much fear as he spread, it was fear itself in the end that consumed Stalin. Sources close to him have noted that Stalin was constantly in fear of being poisoned or assassinated himself. And so he kept eight bedrooms which could be locked up at night like safes in a bank. No one was allowed to know in which of these rooms he would spend the night on any given night. Locked up. That's being consumed and paralyzed by fear. Fear and locked doors. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For that's where we rejoin the apostles this morning in, in the text. We rejoin them in the very same state in which we left them. They're afraid. We last saw them the last time that most of them saw their Lord, and that was when he was being bound in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, you and I, we're one week removed now from Easter. We've seen the solemn and the dark days of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday give way to the glorious light of Easter morn. We've heard the hope-inspiring words of the angel who said, He's not here. He's risen. Through the eyes of Mary and John and Peter, we've seen inside the tomb and have been convinced by it that He is indeed risen. But recall the setting of our text for today. John reports that this is the evening of the first day of the week. It's the evening of Easter Sunday. The last we saw the disciples was the last time that most of them did see their Lord. And so we rejoined them as we left them in fear. The doors being locked for fear. Where is Peter now? Audacious and bold Peter who declared, I will die rather than deny you Christ. Or how about those bold sons of thunder, James and John? who wanted so desperately to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand in the kingdom, confident that they had the right stuff for the job. Where are they all? They're in hiding. They're hiding because that's what fear and that's what doubt require of us. When they had every reason on earth to rejoice, they were afraid. Fear and doubt had seized them. Fear and doubt had immobilized them. 
Fear and doubt had stolen the joy of the resurrection from Peter and John, who had seen the empty tomb. And the evidence of the resurrection, fear and doubt robbed all of the disciples who heard the report of the women, who had been to the empty tomb and back again, reporting what they had seen, hearing the voice of the angel. But fear loomed so large that it cast for them a long and a dark shadow over the most glorious day that the world had ever seen. That's what fear and doubt do. That's what they do to us all. Fear and doubt, they're domineering companions that will not let us be free to enjoy the situation for what it is. And can we blame the disciples only and not consider our own doubts that we would harbor? Will we point the the finger of indictment at Thomas for not believing the apostles' report when we ourselves don't always believe what they have reported to us in the scriptures? Now, maybe it's not the resurrection of our Lord that we doubt, but certainly our doubts do revolve around the other promises that he makes. So in doubt, when we find ourselves asking, God, don't you care about me? Don't you see me sinking here in my financial hardships? Or God, have you forgotten me as I seem to search in vain for someone with which to spend the rest of my life? Don't you hear my cry, God, for help as I try to deal with the stresses and the strains of latter life? Lord, is my prayer for those dear to me who don't yet go to church and here with me receive the life-giving word and sacraments. Is that prayer even heard, Lord? And if it is, what's taking you so long? Where are you, God, when I'm here in the depths of failing health? Am I a lost cause, God? My sins, are they so great that I'm beyond hope? How we ourselves doubt, don't we? It's doubt worthy of repentance. But how we too will live in fear, just like the disciples, not boldly, not confidently living in the promise and the hope and in the help and in the peace of the resurrection, but rather living, as it were, in hiding. Hiding behind life's locked doors. Afraid. But the stone did not keep Jesus in, and locked doors are not going to keep him out. He cares far too much for us to leave us there paralyzed, in the fear of what might be or what was or what is. Uninvited, our Lord passes right through our locked doors. He comes to us through the barricades of fear. He doesn't wait for us to emerge out from behind them, but rather he comes to us. Just as he did that first Easter evening, the living Lord passes right through the barricades. Well, that's exactly what we need. We need him near. It's exactly what they needed, right? The apostles and those gathered that day. It's it's what Peter needed, doubting perhaps still his own worthiness of even being there included with the rest of them because it was he of all people. Peter was the one who denied the Lord. It's what John needed. John who had witnessed with his own eyes his Lord die. And he had seen with his own eyes and testified to us how very dead he was. 
as the water and the blood issued forth. It's what Mary needed, who perhaps wondered whether she really did see the Lord earlier that day or if she was just simply seeing what she so wanted to believe. It's what all the disciples needed for all of them, overcome by fear, had abandoned him. But knowing just what they needed, he appeared to them in the flesh. Now, appearing to them, he well could have roundly scolded them. Couldn't he have? Scolded them for their unfounded fears, their deep doubts about him. But that's not what he did. Appearing there to to them. With that voice that they knew so well, that familiar voice that had guided them and counseled them brought them to faith in him over the last three years. With that familiar voice, he said to them, Peace, brothers. Peace be with you. Peace. And then he showed them why they could be at peace. He showed them the marks of peace. As if to say, Look at the nail marks here in my hands. And look at the mark in my side where my blood flowed forth. Look at the marks of my crucifixion for you. And take heart in them. I know that you fell well short. I know that you doubted and you lost faith. I told you that you would. But behold my hands and behold my side. Behold those marks Those marks that bear witness of my love for you. The wounds that have paid price in full for all of your failings. Behold them and be at peace. It's just what they needed. It's just what they needed. That's what we need too. Isn't it? That's what we need too. After Easter's Jubilee begins to wane in the festive fanfare then begins to fade. And as we return to days of normality, how easily we forget that because of his cross and his empty tomb, things are anything but the way they used to be. Behold, friends, the marks. Sin no longer owns your eternity. Death no longer pins you forever down. He lives. He lives to overcome today and tomorrow. And this morning he reminds us of that very thing, that because he does live and because of him, it's fear and it's doubt that have been overcome. And to assure them of it, he appeared to them in the way that that they were used to seeing him. He appeared to them in bodily form. And he let them there touch and handle his flesh and see him with their own eyes. It's what they were used to. But for us, he's chosen different means. And methods, no less potent, mind you, no less potent to dispel our doubts. We don't, though, see him with our own eyes. But we do see him by the eyes of those who were there and then by faith. And we do hear him through their ears and by their report. It's what St. John wrote to us. These things are written that you may believe. Don't for a minute begin to consider yourself second blessed. Second blessed because you haven't seen him with your own eyes, but take it from the Lord himself. You heard him say it today to Thomas. He said, because you have seen me. A week later when he appeared to him, he said, because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
from his own lips, friends. He's talking about you. There in that verse, that very day, speaking to Thomas, he was talking about you. You who would sit here in 2008, the year of our Lord, and though you do not see him, yet you believe in him and you love him. And so blessed are you, says your Lord, blessed because not only does he give you and give us his word that we might believe in him, but knowing well that stubborn and sinful, slow to believe streak in every one of us, he assures us today right here as we would touch and handle things unseen, his very body, his very blood, right here in this supper, our Lord, as Luther said, truly as present here with us as he was with those disciples in that upper room, here to comfort us with his body, with his word, My friend, strengthened by his very real presence here with us. It's then without fear. That's how we go on living life, then without fear. All the days of our life, whatever those days bring. It's freedom from that fear. It's being disentangled from all of the doubts. Even if they are those doubts of having having the adequate necessities of life. For friends, did Christ not say... Don't worry and don't let your chief concern be about what you shall eat or drink or the clothes that you'll wear. Your Father in heaven knows that you need them. It's the freedom from the doubts of failing health for did the risen Christ not promise. My grace is sufficient for you, whatever your thorn in the flesh. It's freedom from the fear of loneliness for did the Lord not appear to his disciples And comfort them and all of his disciples with the same promise saying, Lo, I am with you always, always, to the very end of the age. Is God's word not true when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Above all, the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus means that all the days of our life, we can live life without the paralysis of fear over sin? Or did he not once say to one paralyzed and in sin, arise and confidently go? Your sins are forgiven you. In the face of whatever the world will throw at you and with whatever it will threaten you, remember that he said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Most of you here will recognize the famous phrase uttered in 1933. Perhaps a few of you will even remember hearing it crackle over your radios. In his first presidential inaugural address, it was a younger Franklin Delano Roosevelt that sought to embolden a nation deep within the doubt and the depression of a suffering economy, and he did with these words. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, he said, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Friends, Christ is risen. He lives. 
So we have nothing to fear, not even fear itself. The living Christ has converted fear's retreat into advance. The advance of living confidently in Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.